Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 85, featuring my guest, Megan Baker Kelly, the daughter of the great Ox Baker. And we'll get to Megan in just a moment. I wanted to make mention of a couple of items first. First of all, and I know it really feels like We're talking a lot about death here lately on Shut Up and Wrestle. It's been a rough few weeks here, a rough month for the wrestling community, as a lot of you know. And so I feel that I need to make mention of our most recent loss being Adnan Al-Casey, known in the wrestling world by a variety of names, including General Adnan in the WWF of the early 90s, as well as Sheik Adnan Al-Casey in the AWA during the 1980s. And really for a majority of his career in the 60s and 70s, as the Native American character Billy White Wolf, many fans may even recall, was once a co-holder of the WWF World Tag Team title with Chief J. Strongbow in the late 70s. Adnan Al Casey passed away last week, and he truly had an illustrious career for those that know a little bit about him He competed quite a great deal internationally. He achieved a lot of success in Australia, in Japan, in the Middle East. In fact, he was a childhood friend and a high school classmate of Saddam Hussein. And he kind of parlayed that during the 70s into a career as sort of a pro wrestling ambassador to the nation of Iraq, wound up eventually fleeing the country as he had sort of an inevitable falling out with Saddam as Saddam ascended to the presidency and started getting really paranoid and dangerous. Al Casey kind of saw the writing on the wall and he got out of there, but an amazing career. And really what, what we saw of him in the, in the United States was in some ways just the tip of the iceberg and yet another unfortunate loss for the wrestling community. And therefore this week on shut up and wrestle our thoughts and prayers go out to the family and friends of Adnan Al Casey. I also want to make mention of a couple of recent issues of Inside the Ropes magazine. Sometimes I get these late because they're coming from overseas. They're coming from the United Kingdom, and they may get to me a little bit late. So I'll wind up getting a, an issue in the mail for an art, with an article that I wrote a couple of months ago that is sort of like a pleasant reminder of some of the work that I do. And so I want to share it with you because I recently got a couple of them sent to me. And I may have talked about these articles before, but once again, I encourage you to check them out. Issue number 35 of Inside the Ropes, which has Roman Reigns on the cover, and it features my article on the history of transitional world champions in pro wrestling, and that's issue number 35, as well as issue number 36, which has 
Jay Uso on the cover. A lot of bloodline covers for Inside the Ropes. They know where the bread is buttered. And in that one, issue number 36, I have my article on the top 25 greatest babyface turns of all time. You may recall a few months ago, I had the top 25 greatest heel turns of all time. Well, this is kind of the companion piece. So you could pick up both of those issues at the website, insidetheropesmagazine.com. And also keep an eye out for issue 37, which isn't available yet, but it's going to have Bray Wyatt on the cover and it will have in it part one of an extensive look back at some of the most legendary pro wrestling arenas and venues of the past, the real cathedrals of old school wrestling. I've got about 32 different buildings included. And so part one of that is going to be in issue number 37. Part two will be in issue number 38. And I will keep you guys abreast of when those become available. But in the meantime, go to insidetheropesmagazine.com and pick up the latest issues with my articles and the articles of many other fine writers and contributors to that fine publication. But now let's get to the interview that I did. And I know I've bumped this one quite a bit, and I have to apologize because I've been talking about Megan now for weeks. But, you know, things happen, things come up. There was the Terry Funk tribute we did. There was the Adrian Street tribute that we did and other things like that, which sort of sometimes caused me to rearrange episodes. But now I'm finally glad to bring this to you. This was a very candid and very down-to-earth conversation with a wonderful woman, Megan Baker Kelly, about her unforgettable dad and we get into things like his appearance on the price is right which we all love and cherish so much escape from new york you know what it was like being the child of such a recognizable and notorious pro wrestler how did it affect him the notion that people that had gotten in the ring with him died actually died and you know back in the day that was used as a way to sell him as a fearsome heel and to sell the heart punch but in reality, how does something like that affect a person? So we get into things like that in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. And I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome somebody who has a very <laughs> unique experience. And for people that enjoy the shows that I do with the children, of pro wrestling legends, then you are going to love this one because uh, Megan's dad was without a question, without a doubt, as I said to her, one of the most instantly recognizable and known pro wrestlers of his time and any other time. I'm talking about the great Ox Baker, and it's my pleasure to welcome to the show this week, the Ox's daughter, Megan Baker Kelly. Megan, thank you so much for doing this. Not a problem. Hello. <laughs> Hi, how's everything going with you? Everything is going great other than it's cold out and it's summertime. <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't I don't get it. And for people, if you're not in the Northeast and we just went through what is the weirdest, I don't even know how to describe it with all of the the smoke and smog and the wildfires. I don't know if it reached down there. You're in Ohio, right? No, it didn't, get no, it didn't reach us so far. It literally maybe had two days of in the red warning, but everything was clear, bright and sunny. Well, you lucked out. You lucked out for sure. Um, so I guess, you know, like I usually do with these, I sort of I try to avoid kind of the Chris Farley show questions, you know, but I have to ask, 
Um, what was it like growing up the daughter of Ox Baker? I mean, I, and I say that because there are wrestlers who can kind of walk around their everyday life and you may not even know that they're a wrestler or what they do for a living until they point it out to you. But with somebody like Ox Baker, I mean, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that that he was somebody different and unusual and unique, even if they weren't wrestling fans. So so what was that like as a kid? Well, okay. So um, my mom used to watch the neighborhood neighborhood kids, and there were three boys that they were always at my house. And when my dad showed up, two of them were like, wow, this guy's really, really tall, really, really big. The other one literally peed himself. Oh he was scared God. to death of my dad. And he said, if you guys are going to grow up with my daughter, he was like, you better protect her. And if not, you're going to have me to deal with. And he'd be like all this grisly, beastly of a man. And then he'd be like, who wants a helicopter ride? And he would spin us on his hands. Oh, that's cute. Now, was he, you know, sometimes we hear stories about wrestlers that would keep their families kind of in the dark. You know, they wouldn't really smarten them up to the business. And so the kids are kind of panicking, thinking that these other wrestlers really want to kill their dad and that kind of thing. What was your dad like? Did he did he clue you in or were you in the dark? No, I knew. I knew what he was doing. I knew what the industry was kind of like. I mean, I was four when I first saw him wrestle. Um, Growing up after that, like I was like, "Eh, that's just my dad. And they're like, but your dad's like this huge famous person. And we just want to meet him, shake your mom's hand, see you. And I'm just like, oh, okay. (laughs) Like, no big deal. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, that happens. Some of the conversations I've had with other people, like I talked to Gordon Soley's son recently, and even when I was working on my book on the original Sheik, and I was reading interviews that he had, you know, with his son, how it's kind of like this weird thing sometimes, how this is just your dad to you. It's just like sometimes you don't even, in some cases, they didn't even realize how famous their parents were until maybe something happens, like they're out somewhere and all of a sudden they're getting mobbed at a gas station or something. And you're thinking, Oh my God, my dad is like an icon. Yeah. My dad was in and out of my life for the most part growing up. But like, I would tell people I went to school with like, Hey, my dad, you know, he was in movies and he, he's a wrestler and he did this and he knows this person. And they were like, really? Wow. Well, where is he? We want to meet him. And then when they met him, they were, they were like, Oh my God, she's telling the truth. Like I was lying or something. So it was always the, oh, whatever, here we go again. And then it got annoying when he was here. He would always like to go to this one restaurant. And just because of who he was, like my mom, me, whoever we took with us, we all ate for free almost every day that he showed up to this restaurant. As long as like the workers and the people could come and meet him and he'd sign autographs. And it just got annoying at times because I'm like, we're trying to eat. Like what? point i don't know why you see the infatuation with this man he's just a man right and you know i mean i know for me and for hopefully for other people the whole you know there's kind of an unwritten rule especially when people are eating that you you know let them eat in peace and don't you know interrupt that like those are sometimes where especially if you're dealing with it nonstop. like i even have had that experience when i was a young fan before i before I knew better and understood like these are real yeah. people with lives that, you know, there are certain times when you kind of just 
have to give them their space. But also with your dad, with somebody like your dad, I mean, like I said before, I know I keep harping on it, but it's really hard for him to blend in. I mean, impossible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, he used that to his advantage, too, sometimes. I mean, you know, he scared the manager of Toys R Us one time because he wasn't getting his way. So he thought he could use his height, his persona of booming his voice throughout the whole store to get his way over a 10 speed bicycle. <laughs> and I just was like, OK, this is my dad. Yep. Hi. It's and how, how old were you when that happened? Um, I was 12. So I'm trying to get the time frame here. So if you're so what your your earliest memory of your dad as a wrestler, when would that be? When I was four. Okay. And I'm, <laughs> I'm dancing around this because I don't like to ask women their ages, but around what what when would that be that you were four? <laughs> <laughs> um, um well. I will be, I'll say this, I'll, I'm almost 43. I'll be 43 this year. Well, you're younger than I am. So um... <laughs> my husband's saying 83, 83. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you mentioned, I, and I have to ask about this too, because you mentioned the whole movie thing. And that's the other thing, because your dad, because he had this great look and he was huge and everything, um, you know, it seems like he was sought out. I mean, everybody knows about escape from New York. That's like probably the most famous one, but there were others that he did too. And in fact, even not that long ago, I mean, you know, not even later in life was that, how did he, how did that come to be? As far as you know, was it something where, how did he get noticed? I guess. I, I, I don't know really. I just know that the two biggest movies was escape from New York and Jackie Chan's the big brawl. Yes. And there was a whole bunch of wrestlers in that one. So I don't know if it was just a collab of they wanted the biggest, ugliest looking wrestlers or whatever. If it was just like the biggest guys that they could put Jackie Chan up to. I, I don't know, honestly, but he was a street fighter. I, I had both of those movies and growing up, they would come on TV from time to time. And I'd be like, hey, look, that's my dad. <laughs> and he's fighting this little short guy who's you know getting off on their own feet which was jackie chan and then my mom would tell me stories about kurt russell being so short and my dad being so tall you know they they would have to tell him to take it easy doing the movie with him because they were getting beat up and my dad maybe thought it was like a real life wrestling you know situation at that but my dad ended up getting stitches because Kurt Russell laid into him with the bat with the spikes in it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, because, I mean, the wrestlers are used to, you know, when somebody says lay it in, you lay it in. And, I mean, they're yeah. used to occasionally getting a little stiff with people. And I know that movie stars are not used to that. So I guess this no. was a case of, like, retaliation, maybe, or feeling like he had to protect himself. It was a big workout, my mom said. And then um, for the other indie films, I'm not really sure. I met the man who cast it, my father. And I, I mean, I guess he just did it because he knew my dad and thought he was just like the right part. Because, you know, my dad and his sinister look of his mustache and his eyebrows. And, you know, he was like... I guess you could be the perfect part to play in this movie that I'm doing. And it's about fear because 
you're scary and that's just that. Right. And that was a, last... that was that was a horror film he did, kind of a horror anthology later on. I think it was for the Chiller Network or something like that, wasn't it? Um, I want to say up here it was um oh, Sci-Fi Network and it was right. the Five Senses of Fear. Right. And then he did something called Carnival, something Carnival. Did he ever talk about uh, the movie work that that he did uh, around you or mention anything about it? If he did, I probably wouldn't remember because at that time I was still quite young. Right. Uh, yeah. And definitely when he was doing it, especially, I mean, Escape from New York is what, 81, I think. So you I mean, yeah, I, I can't even imagine you you would even remember no, yep, no. I just remember my mom was like, "Your dad's in this movie. Your dad's in this in this movie, and you know we're gonna watch it just to see you know the whole thing." And I'm just like, "Okay, whatever." Oh, there's my dad. Hey. <laughs> then it's over. It was a short scene, but I mean, it was well worth the movie. Well, I know John um, Carpenter. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. You were gonna say no, something. no, no, no. That's fine. Um, my mom. I do know all the stories about my mom, though. She's the one that got him on Prices Right with bob barker who was scared she said shitless because six foot person and he's short too and you know he's like having one of her shirts big mean and ugly and i like to hurt people or something i forget which shirt it was but he's like you're not gonna hurt me are you <laughs> yeah and and you know i was gonna mention that too the the price is right thing before but before i do one thing because i know i'll forget it i'll forget it okay. otherwise is that um I know that John Carpenter, the director for Escape from New York, um, is a big wrestling fan, or at least he was, because I know, like, for example, he used Roddy Piper. You know, Roddy Piper mm -hmm. was the star of his movie, They Live. And I know from talking to Piper that, um, you know, that was a big part of why he got cast, that I guess, like, Carpenter knew about him from you know, from wrestling and knew that he could, that he had the chops to do it. So it seems like John Carpenter had kind of an awareness of pro wrestling. So, I mean, it's very possible, I guess, that he knew about your dad already and was just like, hey, I saw this guy on TV. This is our guy. Like, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, right, if something like that. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know how it came about. Um, I can always ask my mom because she knows all that. But like I said, I was just really too young to understand any of all dads in a movie. He could be famous or, you know, oh, he, he got picked out for this reason. I just don't know. Right. Now, The Price is Right, which for people that of a, are of a certain age, you know, like my age, you know, I remember when that aired and i didn't even know a lot about wrestling at the time i was really little <laughs> all i know is my grandmother was a religious price is right watcher like every day she would watch this show i mean she was yeah. retired by that point i think it was on like well maybe it still is i don't know what it was like 12 o'clock on cbs if i remember right which was channel two in new york something like that and it would be on every weekday. And anytime I was home from school, if I had a half day, if I was over yeah. a house, it was Price is Right. And I happened to see that one. And I know like a lot of wrestling fans my age talk about it. But for people that have never seen it, it's out there. You got to check it out. It's on YouTube. It's where yeah. all the usual places. But the idea of, you know, 
Ox Baker on The Price is Right. It's just such a cool visual. And Bob Barker was always so good about interacting with some of the more colorful contestants that would come on. And yeah. so, like, it just comes off so, so well. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's very memorable. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, I guess the original tape that he had, it got stolen. So, you know, we're thankful that it is on YouTube and I have saved it now. But um, that's the first time I ever seen it was when it was on YouTube. And my mom still has the clock to this day in her house that he won off of Prices Right. Oh, that's great. And, you know, I have a, a Facebook group for this podcast and I always post, a, you know, any kind of like videos and things that can go along with the show. And you had better believe that I'm going to be posting the YouTube video in the group for, any, for people to relive or for people who've never seen it. You got to see it. And you're right. Bob Barker is it's hard to fake that kind of intimidation. And you can tell that he is intimidated. Oh, yeah. He was scared. My mom said off camera he was like putting his hand up against my dad's because he wanted to see how big my dad's hands were because he was just scared. He was scared that my dad was going to like send him across the room or the stage. And if my dad lost, oh, my God, he was going to get pummeled or something. And it was just funny because my dad's really not a mean person. He just right. portrays that. Well, um, how did and how did he get on there? Was, you mentioned your mom had something to do with it, because, I mean, I have to say I'm in the dark in general as to how people get on a show like that at all. Like, I, I mean, if you told me they were just randomly picked out of the crowd, I know as a wrestling fan, I should know better than that. I would believe you. So, I mean, how did how was that even arranged? I guess somewhere in and they're around Canton and it might be Cleveland. It might've been in Cleveland, but it was close to home. And somehow they were doing audition calls and she said, Hey, let's just go here. Let's just do this. So she really was the one that took my dad there. She signed him up and she's like, we have to wait for a number to be pulled. Cause they were randomly picking numbers. That's how they picked anybody. And they randomly chose them, I guess, out of the crowd. Like he stood out. Here's your favorite word, stood out. He stood out in the crowd and they were just like, we want this guy. Of course. Why so, wouldn't they, right? Right, right. And he had such a way with like crowds and people. So he had that charm going on too. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I, I mentioned this when we first talked on the phone, but I ran into your dad only one time and it was at a wrestling convention it was um, in New Jersey. I forget what it was called, I, but it was strictly for wrestling. It wasn't like a, you know, it was, it was wrestling personalities. And I was there with my kids who at the time were very little. This must have been about, about 14 years ago or something. And we saw him. We pulled up and we saw him getting out of his vehicle. So like we were like right in front of us. And he had one of those T-shirts, like you said, whether it was I like to hurt people or something like that. And my kids were like terrified. Like they were like this to the, you gotta remember they're like three feet tall or whatever. This yeah. was like literally like an actual monster had appeared in real life in front of them. And, you know, I, I unfortunately I didn't have a chance to really have any interaction with them, but the whole time I was there, because I was it was right after I left WWE. So I I knew a lot of people that were there. The whole time I was there, you could just see that he was you know, a gracious and humble person. He was not like 
you know, the wrestling persona that you would that you would assume he would be like. Right. No, he was very caring towards people, kids especially. When I um like I said, for a long time, like he stayed in Connecticut, he would travel. He wasn't in my life because he eventually, you know, remarried to Peggy and he stayed in Connecticut. And when she passed, he started traveling again off and on circuit, I guess, if you could say. He ended up being back in Ohio and he ended up, you know, retiring and we ended up finding it out because it was around his birthday time. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I said, we have to go. And it was two hours away from Canton because I'm from Canton. So we had to go two hours away. And I was like, we're going to surprise my dad. And I said, he's going to meet his grandsons for the very first time. So when I was going there, I kept telling my oldest, who was five at the time, I was like, listen, I said, don't be afraid. I said, Papa won't hurt you, but he's very, very big. And I said, he's very tall. And he's like, okay, mommy, okay. And then he's like, wow, he is tall. He actually had another wrestler because at that time, his age and him being so sick, he just couldn't wrestle anymore. Right. So the gentleman who was wrestling for him was probably about six foot seven, six foot nine. And my oldest was like, man, this guy's cooler than Papo and he's taller. I ain't scared of him. But you know what, mom? Papple is still pretty big, like wide. And he was like, I bet he still go through a, a door and through a wall. And he goes, he'd hurt somebody. <laughs> oh, that's adorable. How much did he know about him before he met him? Did he know that his grandpa was a famous wrestler? How did um, you explain it to him? Well, at that time, I mean, he was five, so he knew about wrestling. And I and I always said, you know, hey, Grandpa is a wrestler. And I actually had two of, and I still have them, two of the original figures. There was a regular figure and a bloody figure. And I was like, you can see these, but don't play with them because you'll probably break them because he likes to crash things together. And he's a typical boy. And I was like, you can't play with him. But this is what Papa looked like. <laughs> and I would show him clips online, YouTube, and wherever I found them. And I would show him pictures of what my mom had. And she had a couple of Andre the Giant and, and the Iron Sheik, Roddy Roddy Piper, Hawk Hogan. And he was like, oh, he knows all these people. And I was like, yeah, Paul. Yeah. I think I remember that series you're talking about where they had... Um... They would have the alternates. There would be one that was non-bloody and one that was bloody. I Because rem- I remember there was one of the Sheik and there was one of Bruno San Martino. I think if this is the same mm-hmm. collection that I'm thinking of, um, that was coming out right around when I was working for WWE. Because I remember somebody had a collection of them in the office. And I think the one of your dad was, I think I saw it at that time, if I remember right. But I wanted yeah, to... they're they're in a black box. That's all I remember. And <laughs> had a strip of wrestlers on it. Right. Well, I wanted to ask you, and I know this is probably well. This I know this is before your time, and but but even just from conversations you may have had or things that you knew about your dad's career, a lot of thing. One thing that people remember about your dad, of course, is the heart punch. 
which was, you know, his finishing move that terrified wrestling fans, especially young wrestling fans. And, and you know, uh, it was one of those things. I know Stan Stasiak had it also as his finisher. But um, one of the things about your dad was there was always this legend around him, which, of course, was not true, thank God, but that he had killed people with this move oh, yeah. because, oh, yeah. because, because there were a couple of matches, unfortunately, where guys did – die but obviously not because of that you know there was alberto torres and then there was ray gunkel who that was that was a really famous death because he was the booker of georgia uh championship wrestling at the time so it kind of changed the course of the whole company but um did your dad ever talk about that i mean because obviously he had to go along with it because it's part of the gimmick like ox baker you know he's killed a man with the heart punch did he have any you know bad feelings about that Oh my gosh, yes. I think it it ate him up inside at times because he knew he didn't do it, but he knew he played a part in it. If that makes sense. Um when he did hit the the guys, like I don't know what I think it was the first guy he had underlying heart condition and shouldn't have been in the ring at all. I think that's, that's Torres, yeah. Yeah. And I and I know that ate at him quite a bit and then like when he would do it again and and it happened for the second time that gentleman, I I guess there were some other issues and I don't know if that was concerning around drugs. I don't want to say that. I I don't know a hundred percent, but there was something underlined with health and and possibly drugs. And it was just too much for him. So it really just, I mean, yeah, in a way, my dad was like, oh, yeah, I killed the two guys. Come at me. Yeah, it was all the persona of his character, but it really hurt him. Yeah, because I wonder if there was, you know, obviously we're not privy to the conversations, but I wonder if there was ever a time where he was just like, look, I don't I would rather we not mention that. Like, I don't want to use that as part of my persona. Like, could we not mention it? I, I wonder if he if he ever kind of raised a protest about it. I think he did. And I think they were like, no, we have to roll with it. You want this? We have to do this. We have to roll with it. You wanted this to be your finishing move. This is what we're going to have to do. And I think the time the second gentleman died or passed out or however it came to be, I guess that's when they were like, oh, now we have to ban this move. Right. Which, of course, only adds to the to the angle, because now it becomes this devastating move that you're not supposed to do. And so if the referee's not looking now, he's going to do it and the crowd's going to go crazy. And I remember also hearing about like, there would be times at least one time, probably more than once where it caused a riot because they were playing it up so much. Mm -hmm. I think it might've been against Ernie Ladd or somebody like that, where they're playing it up so much, this deadly heart punch and he's whamming the guy repeatedly with it, slamming him. And you have all these people in the crowd who, you know, especially back then, they think this guy might die. This, he might kill this guy and they would actually riot. Yeah. Yeah. And see, now my my youngest, who was five at the time that I talked about earlier, he's now 14 going on 15. He just saw on Peacock, we found where my father first debuted. And that guy did not even get one punch in. My dad just picked him up and started slamming him around, throwing him like a rag doll. And Paul's like, why did he need the heart punch? He's like, (laughs) clearly he can handle himself. 
And I'm like, Paul, I said, it's all gimmick. I said, they all have to have some kind of cool move or cool saying. He's like, yeah, he should have just stuck with, I like to hurt people. He said, that poor guy. He was like, he couldn't even stand. Right. And, you know, I mentioned this to you the other day, too. There were, I, I think this is what you're talking about. There are these new, not new, but you know what I mean, newly added episodes of WWF Championship Wrestling on Peacock. And they're all from 1980. They put like mm -hmm. almost like the whole year's worth now at this point. They keep adding like a couple of months here and there. And I know I love all that stuff. So I jump the minute there's anything that, that goes that far back on there. I'm like the first person in line to watch it. And so I know that I think that was the last time that they had brought your dad into the WWF and and he wasn't there for long. I think it was maybe like one or two of those TV matches, maybe even just one. And then and then you never saw him there. He wanted to, to succeed in WWF, and that's not how things were working out for him. Right. Yeah, and I'm looking at it now. Yeah, it was basically they brought him in, and this is where those championship wrestling episodes come in. They brought him in in March 1980. He basically did one TV taping. He, he had like three different squash matches, and then he's back to the Carolinas, back to Mid-Atlantic, which is where he had been mm -hmm. working before that. So yeah. um, it, it probably was some kind of a tryout or something. Not a tryout because he'd been there before, but you know what I mean? Like sort of like, you know, we'll give him a shot. And the two parties could not um, agree, like you said, to what they were, what the, what the vision was going to be. <laughs> right. Well, I guarantee you, I mean, it's true. And I just want to say for, you know, every everybody out there, they probably all know this too, but the wrestlers who were pitted against each other, like Hogan and my dad, they were still friends. My mom played cards with all of them and they all hung out. They all kicked it, bar hopped. <laughs> but back then, I mean, it was a little harder sometimes because you would have promoters who would say, well, we don't want you to be seen with so-and-so because you guys aren't supposed to like each other. So sometimes they would have to be kind of discreet about it or careful about where they were you know, where they were seen together in public, at least. I don't know. All I know is I, I can tell you my mom has played cards and sat down with Hogan and his wife and my dad. They've been out to bars together. Roddy Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant, The Undertaker. They've all hung out openly, I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, that. well, that does, and especially today. I mean, that's, that's all out the window now. There's no... Yeah. Um, there's no concern. I mean, I've heard stories about guys being told, you can't ride with this guy. You have to ride with this guy. Or you can't room with this guy. You have to room with this guy. I remember even when I was working on the Sheik book, the stories of Sheik having wrestlers. I mean, you want, you want to talk about taking it maybe a little too far. The Sheik would have wrestlers over his house. He had this big mansion. Mm -hmm. I don't know if your dad was ever there, but he would insist that <laughs> The good guys had to eat together here and the bad guys had to eat together there. And the wrestlers would go, all right, um, this is a little ridiculous. There aren't even any fans here. You know, what are we doing? And, you know, it's funny because there's the movie, right? I like to hurt people, which is which comes partly from your dad's one of your dad's catchphrases. But, you you know, for people that don't know, it's a it's a movie about Detroit wrestling in the late 70s. Your dad's in it. Because your dad actually played an important role there. And this was before he 
tried to go back to the WWF because your dad had the part that he played was like you said, he's the tag team partner of the Sheik. But then basically they turn on each other and it was a huge deal because the Sheik had been a bad guy his entire career and they tried to make him a good guy. For whatever reason, don't ask me why. It, it seems like not the greatest idea. But the way they did it was that the Sheik's manager at the time, Eddie Creechman, turned on the Sheik and went with Ox Baker. And so they built up this whole program between the Sheik and Ox Baker. It, it says something about your dad that they thought, because it when you have to turn somebody, right, the person they're going against, you have to make sure the fans are going to hate that guy. And they're not going to hate your guy. So, I mean, the fact that they picked your dad, I think, tells me that they had the confidence that the audience would take the Sheik side against, you know, Ox Baker in that feud. He always said nothing but respect for all the wrestlers he's ever worked with. And he still remained great friends with a lot of them. Did he ever talk about the Sheik at all? He did, but nothing that I can, like, remember other than he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. I thought you were going to say nothing that I could repeat. No, 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 no. <laughs> nothing that you could remember. That's a little better. No, no, no. That talk was never allowed around me because I was his princess. Right. Um, the only thing, the only bad thing I've ever witnessed, and I, and you know, my dad is one to, like I say, draw in a crowd when he threw in the Toys R Us uh, <laughs> manager because he didn't get a bike for me. He threatened to heart punch that man up against the wall. Oh, my God. See, that, to me, that's like the perks of having a wrestler dad. Maybe to you it was totally embarrassing. But to me, I would think like, you know, this is one of the benefits of my dad being Ox Baker, you know? Well, no, um, my mom was like, like I said, she didn't like my dad raising his voice or getting into it with anybody in front of me. She was like, go find a doll, go find a toy, go go somewhere else, just not the bunk crap. And well, then I went back and I said, hey, I found this. It's really cool. Can I have this? And my dad's like, we're not going to buy a damn thing. And he throws it at the guy's head. He's like, I'm going to hard punch you. I just want this damn bike for my daughter. Don't you know who I am? My mom's like, it's time to go before the police are called, honey. Yeah, really? I mean, but when you're talking about him raising his voice and stuff, it reminds me about how when it came to your dad, and I, I think I think it, I, I'm I'm safe in saying this, I think your dad is, is even better remembered, even more than his matches. He's remembered for his promos. I yes. mean, his terrifying promos and just like the way – you know, the, he's like the classic example of the big, scary, screaming, angry wrestler. I mean, like, he's the classic example of that. Yeah. And he made a, well, he didn't make him per se, but somebody he knew made a cookbook drawing of him. And then they made a comic book of my dad being like a superhero. And they, of course, you know, build him up like, he was bigger, better than Batman or Flash, but he still was scary. Yeah, and and as far as well, yeah, I mean, God, he really was one of the best, especially for heels, one of the best talkers of his uh, of his time. Again, I say, especially for little kids watching one of those larger than life. You know, you knew that he was if he was coming after whoever your favorite wrestler was. 
you would definitely be thinking, my favorite wrestler's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yep. Or they would say, oh, it sucks to be him. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And But, you know, the funny thing is, and, you know, like with a lot of these guys, if you look back, if you go back early enough in their career, like I've seen pictures of your dad when he first started. And, you know, because he's got a full head of hair and he yeah. has no facial hair, yeah. um, you wouldn't even know it was the same person. I mean, unrecognizable. Right. And obviously he felt like there was a lot of benefit to be had in drastically changing his look. I don't know if you know anything about that, like how, how that happened, if that was his idea or, or suggested to him. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just know my mom had shaved his head a couple times and his eyebrows and his mustache grew out like that. He did nothing to it to make it look that way. I was like, okay. <laughs> but still, obviously the handlebar mustache, you know, you, you got to maintain that. And oh, those, yeah. those eyebrows, I mean, you know, the average person would be probably wanting to keep those very neatly trimmed. But in your dad's line of work, just like somebody like like Wild Bull Curry, it was in his best interest to just let it grow out and just be wild and crazy. Yeah. And see, the only thing that he maintained was his toes. He would paint them red. If nobody knew that, they know it now. <laughs> oh, wow. See, breaking news. Ox Baker yes. had red painted toenails. That's yeah. that's something. Was there a reason? Um, He always told me just because he wanted me to paint them. Oh. I don't know if there was a reason behind it, but he just kept up, I guess, the tradition and he would go and he would scare the hell out of somebody at a store and he'd be like, I need the brightest red that there is. He's like, I don't want no watermelon. He said, I, I want something like cherry red. He's like, I want it bright. And he would always paint them, but like he would just twist his mustache and go with it and no maintenance, but always had his toenails painted. But, and also, you know, later in life, the interesting thing, because with a lot of wrestlers, you know, once they're not really wrestling anymore, they get away from it, or maybe they get in another line of work, they're sort of like, okay, now I could start to look like a normal person again, I'm going to cut my hair, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, you know, like, if you see people today, like, like Jimmy Garvin, or like, you know, you, you can't even you wouldn't even know they were the same person anymore as they were wrestling, but your dad kept it going. I mean, your dad looked like he Ox Baker, he just kept looking like yeah. Ox Baker. I mean, like I said, I saw him in 2009 i want to say and there was no mistaking that was ox baker i mean he looked like he could probably have a match right then and there yep yep he could he didn't want to i guess change anything up i guess it was just how he wanted to be i i don't really know i also imagine part of it too is when your look is what people know you for and especially if you're still trying to kind of capitalize on that and i know your dad was always you know making appearances and doing the conventions and stuff that if you show up and you have such a distinctive look that people remember and you don't look like that mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to be disappointed and i'm guessing your dad probably understood that yeah he probably i mean probably that's the biggest way or reason he wanted to stay the way he was I also heard that there was, I don't know if you know anything about this, but that there was at some point a documentary that was planned about your dad. Do you know anything about that? It's not that 
um, Wrestling 360, is it? Oh, I don't know. I'm going to try and see if I can. It's something that's come up over time. I know somebody did an interview with him that was sort of like a documentary. It was done at his house in Connecticut. Okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But I don't think it was really like like a film or, or going to be a documentary. And then somebody said, no, it was a wrestling 360. Yeah. It was something that was a play on. I like to hurt people. I don't think they were going to call it that because you already have the movie. I like to hurt people, but right. something like that. Uh, I don't know. And this was a while back. I remember hearing about it, but it just never, I don't know. It never got finished or came out or anything like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I mean, I've been throughout the years of um, his passing, like people have reached out to me and they've wanted to do this or that. And I've given my OK or no or I don't know what to do because I don't know how to handle it. My brother should be handling it. But my brother is deceased, too, unfortunately. Yes, so sorry. with all that being said, I am copywriting his name, trademarking it and all that. It's in the process right now. And it's almost all done. But um, as far as like actually making something, the only thing that I knew of was that Wrestling 360. Right. Well, you know, I think that's something that really needs to be corrected and fixed. And I know people might, maybe people who hear this will correct me. But as far as I know, I know your dad, because I'm thinking of Hall of Fame kind of stuff. I know your dad was put into the NWA Hall of Fame. And I think he's in the New England Wrestling Hall of Fame. But the 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 bigger ones, I don't think, have inducted him. I don't think he was put into the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the one that was in New York. Um, I don't believe he's in the Observer Hall of Fame. He's not in the WWE Hall of Fame. I think for somebody that's as instantly recognizable as your father and wrestled for so long at such a level, I think that's something that should change. Me too. I totally agree. I've been wanting to do that for some time now. I think he deserves that recognition. And a lot of other old school wrestlers that I've talked to that I that I knew from way back when, such as Abdul the Butcher, Greg the Hammer Valentine, they were like, your dad needs to be placed in here. And they were like, we don't know what the holdup is. And then there was always the the misfortune of, oh, well, your dad was my best friend. I'll, I'll put him in there or I'll accept the word for your family. And I'm like, who are you? And I'm <laughs> like, no, let's not. And then I just kind of put a stop to it. And now that things are moving finally in the right direction with the trademarking of his name and things, I'm hoping to change that. And I'm hoping just to preserve that memory of him into those Hall of Fames. If I can get him in there. Absolutely. I mean, and I hope even by people, uh, I don't flatter myself too much, but I'm hoping maybe even by people hearing this and things like this, making the rounds that maybe it'll help contribute to that. Because look, I mean, WWE has already shown that for their hall of fame, it's, you don't even need to have been primarily in wwe i mean they've inducted people now over the year i mean they inducted abdul the butcher you mentioned abdul the butcher i mean abdul the butcher maybe had a cup of coffee in the wwf i mean he's wrestled everywhere but there and they put him in he's like the example a lot of people point to but there's others that Mm -hmm. really had most of their career in other places and are better known for other places but 
the WWE Hall of Fame at this point is like the caretaker of all of wrestling history, whether people like it or not. And I always say this, and and this is a good example of what we're talking about, is when people try to knock the WWE Hall of Fame, I understand it's a marketing tool and it's a TV show and it's motivated by a lot of other factors and it's basically who Vince McMahon is thinking about when he wakes up that morning or what mood he's in, you know, that's how you get in. But I'm going to tell you, and people may not realize this, but it means a lot to the people who go in. It means a lot to the families of the people who go in, especially if those people aren't around anymore. And if you see some of these guys, I'm telling you, every one of them or a lot of them, when they're out and about, you will see that ring on their finger when they're out in public. and It means something to them. And fans may laugh and scoff. And I know it's not Cooperstown or anything like that, but but it means something. It's important. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I just want his legacy to be withheld and uphold and all that great stuff, because I think he was a great breakthrough sensation in the industry. I mean, nobody looked like that. Nobody could scare people instantly and then turn around and be like, hey, let's go cook and I'll, I'll you know, make you something. Right. Um, he was one. He was one of those intangible stars. It's like you just knew who he was. You know, he was very high profile. He, he was he was known, even if you can't like wrestling's not ba- these kind of things aren't based on statistics so much. It's just he was one of the most well known and recognizable wrestlers of his era, and I think that should be enough. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, honestly, too, and I gotta say it because I've always said it to whoever I talk to because you know, again, I have like maybe. 10 i used to be like 20 a year i would get emails well who is this person is this person related to you there's so many people out there that either want the claim of his name or ox baker jr or the the other ox baker and i'm like who are you people (laughs) like no they're not related they have no involvement with my family they're not my father's son you know his name doesn't even like pertain to wrestling but i mean you know get a hold of the right people before you want to lay that claim that stake to my dad there's still guys going around with um his gear that the people that my dad had took in that he thought he could trust and they really weren't the trusting people they sold all his stuff so there's people that have his his i guess I don't want to say clothing, but they have something in my dad's name. And they're like, oh, he was my best friend. Like, you're a pretender. Please stop. Yeah, that that happens way more often than anybody likes to think of, uh, especially in wrestling. I mean, we just had a situation, speaking of Halls of Fame, where one of the wrestling Halls of Fame basically just kind of vanished without a trace. And people were trying to track down all the gear and memorabilia and things that they had. So it's good that you're doing what you're doing to try to protect the name and try to get a handle on it, get it under control. Um, is there any, I don't know if there is, but is there anything like a, a website or anything that people can go to or check out at this point? Are you guys thinking of doing anything like that? Well, there's actually, um, uh, okay. So wrestling pro wrestling tees, um, the gentleman's name is Ryan. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He has a storefront for old school or maybe old and new. Um, there's a storefront there that I have four shirts up right now. 
Um, I want to add more to it. Of course, you have to do so many cells, which there's been a couple cells, not like thousands, which I didn't, you know, think there would be at this moment in time, but over time, maybe. But um, there is a site there for shirts right now. There is a few toy companies that have reached out to me. I do have a signed contract with one of them from China. And the gentleman's name is Sean, and he, we are in collabs of making dolls of my father. And then there's another one that who's reached out, but they have to jump through their legal system of hoops of who I am because they have to prove who I am. <laughs> because again, so many people out here say they're this, that, the other to my father, and they're really not. Right. But it's okay. I can still prove it 12 ways to Sunday that I'm his daughter. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to prove it, but, and, and that, and that, that will go a long way. And for people that want to, I'm glad you mentioned the pro wrestling tees, especially because it's good for people to know if they want to support the cause, you know, cause you can go on pro wrestling tees and buy shirts for just about any wrestler, mm -hmm. you know, of the last, you know, 50, 60 years. It, but in this particular case that it's authorized, that it's licensed, and that it goes to help the cause, it goes to the family. I think that's something that people are going to love to know. And, and that'll be another link that I put up on the Facebook group for this for people to check out. And I'm hoping I send you some sales your way. That would be great. But oh, uh, amazing. But I, I, I have to thank you for, for doing this. And hopefully even this conversation we're having and getting it out there helps to keep the legacy and the name of your dad alive and you know ox baker forever right yes yes because i have to say um my best friend ian he's gonna like be floored that I even mentioned his name he uh got a hold of me and he was like you know i've tried to get you numbers and such and he's like and talk to people about your dad He's like, some of these idiots, he's like, they've never heard of them. Then when I say the great heart puncher, they were like, oh, yeah, the scary one. And he's like, my God. He's like, some people don't even remember your dad. And he's children. like, you're, you're dealing with children. That's the problem. <laughs> all they know is, you know, anything that happened after Hulk Hogan. And that's that's all they ever know about. Uh, but but that's not what it's like here at Shut Up and Wrestle. We have a wide view of history. We recognize the legends and the stars like your dad. And that's one of the goals of that I had when I created the show in the first place is to to talk intelligently and authoritatively about the important people of wrestling history, the people that fans remember and love and cherish. And if they don't remember, if they're too young to remember, which you can forgive people if they're too young, at least have some curiosity to learn. That's another reason why I do shows like this too, that, right. you, you know, your dad was an icon. And so I, again, I'm, I'm happy to have you on the show to talk about him. And I'm very, very grateful that you gave me this time. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for reaching out. <laughs> There you have it, folks, my conversation with Megan Baker Kelly. And I want to thank Megan for coming on the show and also for her patience. And I know that it took a few weeks for this episode to finally come to light. So here it is. And I hope that you enjoyed it. And I hope you keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. We've got great guests on the way. Next week for episode 86, I have someone who is very familiar to the Arcadian Vanguard listeners and to listeners of the 605 Super Podcast. 
It is noted wrestling humorist and all-around wonderful and funny human being, Scott Cornish. Stay tuned for that. It is going to be a blast. Scott Cornish coming to Shut Up and Wrestle next week. And we've got other great guests on the way in the weeks to come. Former WWF magazine writer Robert Bledsoe will be here. Slam wrestling writer Jamie Hemmings will be here. I've been talking about getting June Byers' granddaughters to come on the show. That is in the works. They will be here. I've also got another of the From the Archives episodes on the way. I kind of made room for the Terry Funk one that I recently did, but I have another one in mind. It's going to be coming soon. I imagine sometime between now and episode 100. So stay tuned for it. Keep listening to our show. Where can you find it? Our website, suawpod.com, is probably your best place, but you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, you name it and you will find Shut Up and Wrestle. There's also the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Come and join us, 1,100 members and growing. Join the fun, join the party. Lots of extra content there all the time. And while you're at it, there's a lot of other projects that I'm always hard at work on. Of course, there's the Wrestling News from Arcadian Vanguard. You can find it at wrestlingnews.com. You can subscribe there. You can also find it at the YouTube page for Arcadian Vanguard. Check it out. You will not regret it. My books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, as well as Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. Those and other books by me are available at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you buy books. I also still have a limited number of signed copies for those that are interested. You can reach out to me and maybe we can work something out. The magazines that I write for, I mentioned Inside the Ropes at the top of the show. That's InsideTheRopesMagazine.com as well as Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Get copies of Pro Wrestling Illustrated at PWI-Online.com. As I record this, we are imminently awaiting the release of the 2023 edition of the PWI 500. So I know everybody's going to want to check that out and Complain and kvetch as you always do, and we love you for it. So get those at pwi-online.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. On Facebook, my author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my website out there on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and saying, I think that I shall never see a poem as lovely as a tree. So long, wrestling fans. 